Harry Butthole Podcast is produced in partnership with Joy Sauce. Harry Butthole. Welcome to Harry Butthole Podcast. This is a podcast based on the Korean saying, if you laugh while crying, hair grows out of your butthole. I'm Youngmi Mayor. I'm your host. And every week I have a guest and I ask them to share a sad story. And then we laugh about the sad story in hopes that hair will grow out of their butthole. And this week I have a very, very, very funny guest. Probably, okay, I, I you know, I hate stand-up comedians. Just... As people, not not the medium, no offense. But I think it's hard because when you do stand up, and I'm sure my guests will have a lot to say about this, you you have to go watch it a lot because you have to go to open mics like two, three times a day, like shows like two times a night or whatever. And you just end up seeing so many stand up comedians and they all suck. But this comedian that's our guest this week is so funny one of the only people that consistently could just make me laugh every time i i hear him it's like one of the comedians you see and you like wait for them to go up because you're like i, I just want to laugh i just want to have fun um also he's the host of halal cartels the podcast and like i said an amazing stand-up comedian everybody oh he also he has a comedy album coming out in 2023 so look out for that you're gonna laugh Give it up for Samir Nassim. Thank you so much, Youngmi. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited that you're here. Um, you make me laugh. And also, I also like your stand-up comedy style. I think one of the reasons I really liked your your sets is because, I, I mean, I know that this is probably most stand-up comedians, but they do this like very formulaic, you know, they practice their bits and then they do their bits and they line up their bits they have a tight five, a tight 10, but you have this like style. I don't know if this is like your professional style, like, but I'm sure you also have bits, but whenever I've seen you, you're, you're sort of just like a storyteller and you just, I can tell you're just like telling a story and it's just, it's just funny. You know, you have the vibe of the funniest friend in the friend group. I really appreciate that. Yeah. It took me, <clears throat> it took me at least like a decade to realize that that was my style, right? Like I tried set up punchline. I tried um, pre sorted out sort of bits and it never really served me. And, um, and then I migrated to storytelling and I sort of like now have tried to refine it so that I can fit within those parameters. Like I'll do a show and they'll be like, you have an eight minute set. And then I'm like, shit, what do I tell within that? So I had to really refine it for those instances, but I think I really shine when I get the chance to tell a story and like um, there within are the bits, right? So um, yeah, yeah, that's something that occurred to me and I was like, maybe I don't want to fit into the short set sort of limit and maybe that's not my lane and like I've been trying to do it for 10 years and I don't think it served me and um yeah, because I see people excel at that. They're like, all right, cool. I've got yep. a 40-second bit. I've got like a two-minute bit, whatever. But for me, it's all about kind of telling a story and depicting a picture and um, telling it in like my own vernacular and slang. And um, so the longer form for me is always better. Yeah, and I feel like... 
I feel the same. I, I just realized after I said that, that that's also how I feel. It's like I tried to do the bits, the formulaic bits. And I for a while I had, you know, like if someone lights me and I know I have 40 seconds, I'm like, I have two 20 second bits. And I, I you, do you know what I mean? Like I, I had things like that. I had like a set like that. But now I just it just wasn't bringing me joy, you know? Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, it's not your it's not your thing. Like it's like not your vibe. It's that you're conforming to like those time constraints. But if you were hanging out with people and you were telling a funny story, nobody's gonna be like, "Okay, young man, you've got about thirty seconds left." You know, like <laughs> you'd be like, "Yeah, you're Flashing a psycho, actually." Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And um, yeah, I, I have seen people excel at that. And I'm like, no, that's great. And it does feel good when you have this set and you know where exactly everyone's going to laugh. Like it, yeah. it feels good in a different way. But for me, what I found is when I just do like riffing or telling a story or just like doing crowd work and you have that magical moment where you say something so fucking funny and it hits so hard. It hits so much harder than whatever joke you you took two years perfecting do you know what i mean yeah and that's like that's the weirdest thing right because like that becomes addictive like to have the new thing hit it feels so much better than the tried and true you're like yeah of course this hit because like i tried it out 10 15 20 times but the random non sequitur is like holy shit it's just like a perfect storm right it's like coincidental sometimes too it's like all the ingredients of that moment just like yeah turning into yeah it, yeah yeah it's so it's like raw raw um energy that you harness for a second yeah that's drugs that's like that's drugs why, that's drugs that's <laughs> like honestly why like i love stand up right like i mean if yeah. I wonder what the appeal is when it becomes strictly formulaic, when you're like, all right, I'm just reading a script that I've memorized. Like the one yeah. person show that's that's taking off right now, mm-hmm. I see a lot of people doing it. Is It's amazing and like it's a lot of work to do and yeah. to script out and to work out and to even um, work with like even a director to – action out right but it's yeah there's like nothing like that like going out and that's why new york is like the drug dealer because you're like yo i'm like trying to get this off reaction and these non sequiturs to just like you're just like do living in the moment and having that experience and that's very hard to do elsewhere yeah also i have to say that you know what i found is that i kind of felt bad about that for a while because I was like, oh, all these other comedians are doing the formula and they're working on their bits and perfecting it and doing the same bits every night for months. But I was like, I'm bored. I'm I'm just going to do like, I'm just going to riff. And what I found interesting about that was I was like, oh, I feel like maybe I don't have the, the, what's that called? Like the, uh, not obedience, the, what's it called when you like are rigid and sticking to a, so discipline discipline yeah i was like i don't have the discipline for this and i I was judging myself but then other comedians would be like did you just go up and like riff the whole time i'm like yeah and they're like that's like that takes fucking balls like that's hard you know and then i i like 
saw it in a different perspective where there are comedians that know that they have to work on their crowd work and riffing and like going off the top of, and just like improving and they never do it because they're scared to do it and meanwhile I'm just like I'm too lazy to write shit down so I'm just gonna do that <laughs> yo I literally feel you on this and like I think that's that's the whole thing you have a talent yeah. like you have the ability to go up there and do that like you're not intimidated you're more like hey uh i'm being constrained to x number of minutes so this is what you're gonna get from me and like i'm gonna tell you yeah. like how i feel right now and like i'm gonna tell you my jokes and i'm gonna go through my premises the way i feel right now and people would yeah. not do that because to them it's a wild card they could just get eaten alive up there like nobody will feel it and um it takes a certain type of person but i agree with you like yeah. i sometimes envy the discipline of others like they're like well i wake up in the morning and i go to the coffee shop and i like think about my premise like, right what's jokes. the deal with cheese <laughs> and i'm like what is the deal with cheese and i'm like yo that's not how my jokes come to me my jokes come to me, me neither through lived experience and like whatever trauma <laughs> i'm like trying to process you know yeah. a lot of the times mm -hmm. and um or whatever like just epiphanies right like i love your um twitter and instagram and stuff because these are like things where i'm like yeah this is profound and it's like a sentence but it's like you can unpack it and also i go like holy shit this is like i feel like young me was at like um was in line at like the grocery store when this like hit her and she wrote it that, down you know what i mean like yeah those are my tweets like just i'm just like in line at the grocery store and you're like yo this is like a profound thought in like 140 characters it literally feels like it just hit you when you're there and you're like oh i'll write this down so as not to forget it later and it's just like yeah. hilarious to me well, it's so weird because sometimes I'll be like, I'll look through my tweets and I'm like, oh, I could like flesh this out and this could be like a sketch or something. It could be like, lit. No, I don't want to. I'm too bored. It's too <laughs> much work. <laughs> You're like, yeah, this could be literally five minutes of hilarity, but I'm just like, I said what I said. It's 140, yeah, whatever the fuck characters. Yeah, it's a, it's like a blessing and a curse, you know, like it's like different ways that people's minds work. I don't think one is better than the other, but it's like, Same. I think. Yeah, I think you and I are, I'm glad that we both found that out about ourselves and our creative process. And we are yeah. both able to be like, yeah, that's not how I work. And that's fine. You know, and like, maybe I feel guilty about the fact that I don't wake up at 830 a.m. and go write for eight hours. Yeah. But that, you know, I can do other things that other creatives really struggle with. And they, they're like, wow, I can't believe you did that. And I'm like, yeah, it's just like, we're just different types of we have different types of brains, you know, everybody 100%. does. So yeah. Yeah. Totally. But, but, oh my God, talking, speaking about like, you know, those like uh, stand up comedians that have like directors and like they stage their physical comedy and stuff like that. Not to shit talk, but there was like, I'm not going to name the person because I don't want to shit talk, but there was like a very famous stand up comedian that came out with a special recently and they did this like whole act out bit that you knew that somebody had like, written into their thing and they rehearsed and it was just like it just fell so flat and it was just the most awkward moment of them acting out something and it was just like crickets and i was like Ugh. yeah no. and that's a thing right now people are i mean um 
No, I totally. I I might even know who you're talking about, but uh, <laughs> we won't. But um, yeah, I I'd say like yeah, it falls flat, right? Because that was the other thing is like I've opened for people who have done that, and I go to like yeah. the theater and I watch from the side of the stage, and I'm like, okay, well, is the act out the joke or like the funny part, or is the joke premise itself? The thing, because, like, you don't need the act out to, like, sweeten the deal when you have something, like, so fucking funny, you know? Um, yeah. But at the same time, like, I see how it's expected of a one-person show. So they're mm-hmm. like, hey, like, I'm doing a story. It's One-person shows are mostly storytelling. They're very, you know, long-winded yeah. bits and what have you. And... I think they add the act outs in order to keep people's attention. Cause we're all like, yo, why isn't the screen like zooming in and out right now? Cause of TikTok. You know? yeah. So it's like, all right. So exactly. my way of attending to that is to like run around and do like cartwheels and like yell mm-hmm. and stuff. And um, so, you know, I don't hate the player. I, what I do realize is what you said is so meaningful to me. It's like, Hey, it took me 10 years to not think about other people's creative process and to think about what does best for like how I approach things and how I can make my comedy shine. And it's like, don't do five minute sets because you're Mm. (laughs) going to do one bit. And if it does not, you're going to tell one story. And if it doesn't hit, then you're not having a good time. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I think it's hard when you have like a different style than the norm because you struggle with that. Like, Oh, I'm, I'm not like everybody else and it sucks. And why can't I do that? And, but then yeah, like every once in a while, like the example that I told you, somebody was like, Oh, like I'm, I would never be able to do that. Cause I'm like too scared to just go up and riff. And like what you said, like, you know, when you're riffing and doing crowd work, a lot of times it just doesn't land, you know, and then sometimes it lands really big, but I'm comfortable with, not getting laughter like i know what to do if nobody laughs where other people can't they have to have everybody laugh every 14 seconds at the punchline you know 100 percent. and that validation is like something that is mimicked by like just real like social media real life etc like validation checkpoints like sonic the hedgehog cell like you need that shit but one thing i was gonna say was like one thing i have noticed about you is also and correct me if i'm wrong but i feel like you're one of those people who is like i need to entertain myself as well and like that's like a a moving force for me where i'm like yo i need to like make myself laugh like i can't enjoy any of the shit if i'm not also like that's funny like if if it still gets laughs i still walk away feeling like bummed out because i didn't make myself laugh i didn't like go you know when you have to listen to your audio after to be like hey what worked or whatever that's so agonizing when you're like that was just like um a slam dunk but yeah. like i don't feel like i entertain myself and that is a a big issue for me where i'm like i just want to when i have to listen to it be like all right that's funny yeah i know i know what you mean i like obviously have to like i have to like respect my own jokes you know 
Yeah. Which I think is very important. But they're just, it's just like, I don't know. I got, I got this weird, this is just, just like some information. Like I got two people recently that reached out on Instagram and they were asking me like for advice. They were like, can, can I hire you as a consultant? Cause I'm like starting out and doing this and doing that Two like two people randomly. And I was like, I don't have advice. I just do the stuff that I would like to do. And I just yep. don't do the stuff I don't want to do. Like I have no other, you know, I talk about what I want to talk about. Like what you just said, like stuff that makes me laugh are the jokes that I'm going to tell, you know? And it's, it's like, a, I think it's a very different approach than somebody that's like, I'm going to do a five, tight five, tight 10. I'm going to go to just for laughs and I'm going to get on late night. Like it's very different. Like I've, that's never been like how my brain works, you know? You know, for anyone who's listening too, it's like, the reality is exactly what you said. So, like, I, I remember when I started stand-up, I would ask Eugene Merman, who's, like, a stand-up comedian. He's um, he's he's from Massachusetts. And so, like, I did shows with him when I started at the comedy studio in Cambridge. And uh-huh. I was like, yo, what is your advice to somebody to get to the level where you're at, which is like already insane. I was a bit of a yeah. punisher when I started. I was like, let me harass like all like successful comedians and be like, hey, let's get some coffee. I'm trying to figure out how to be like you. It's like, yo, you need 10 years and you need to just like consistently work hard. Like that's basically mm-hmm. it. But none of them said that. They really said you need to find your voice and to figure out like what you want to do and who you want to be before Mm. anyone represents you or, or you, you know, blow up or whatever. All of it comes down to like being comfortable on stage, being happy with your material and um, saying what you want to say. And I, I used to think it was a cop out because I was like, well, you're already like there, but now I realize it's the absolute truth, right? Like no one can manufacture this it comes down to like and that's why i also see people within a year just like blow up and it's because they Mm. spent enough time they figured their voice out and um they just like took off people it resonated with people and they were able to break through you know it's like therapy like some people will take like five years of therapy and they'll be like you know what i get it now like i'm good and some people will literally see a therapist for like a year and be like, I've had a breakthrough. Um, but it doesn't matter, right? Because if this is your calling, this is your passion, then you yeah. should be willing to do it for 50 fucking years um, because it brings you happiness doing it. And the process of doing it is what matters. The process of doing it and figuring it out is what actually matters to you. Like this isn't a game where yeah. like you get in and you want to it's not like a fucking you can crypto. scam your way to the top or something <laughs> yeah exactly. you can't yeah yeah like you can believe me like you there's can. a million you can. yeah buy yeah. followers like um rent a fucking bugatti or something you know like this usual shit people do yeah but but real talk like if you want the benefits of it psychologically and like to feel fulfilled then that's going to come from you saying what you want to say and you making the difference you can make, you know, based on your experience and like how you feel, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know what I, what I noticed um, where I see that a lot actually. And 
I I hate it when stand up comedians talk about internet comedians in a bad way, but I do feel that the internet comedians that are super huge, um, like I'm talking people with like millions of followers on YouTube, a lot of them are like shells of people. They're just like because they're so wrapped up in the algorithm and what gets likes. So they just start doing stuff for the viewership, right? Just for the eyes and the validation of people that are watching them. And the mega, some of the mega big ones, and I'm talking mostly about like the ones that I see on YouTube that are Asian and do Asian comedy content. It's like, it's like, uh, I'm like, who are you? You're just like a, like a, it's like, I feel like there's that word for it. It's like a, vaudeville like it's almost like a yellow face character it's like you don't know anything about yourself you don't know what you think about anything or how you feel about anything you're just giving the the viewers what they want and a lot of times it's like at the expense of yourself and your community but you have five million subscribers i guess so cool you know that's so fucking savage and so real it's like well I was going to like hit you up at, about this after and be like, young me, you need to write a fucking full feature about this because that is an insane existential crisis, right? Like yeah. you find fame through that massive following, but then you cater to what the algorithm will show to people. And the algorithm yeah. is void of humanity. So you're mm-hmm. stripped of your humanity and catering to other people. And a lot of it's like terrifying. these uh influencers like or whatever you want to call them like you know um people are like starting out to make a difference and be like yo i didn't have representation i didn't have someone who looked like me when i was growing up and so yeah now i'm in a position where i would love to be that person and to show people like hey hey we're here but at the same time you're doing it in a way that's so stripped of humanity and it's so like algorithmic that like you become a robot almost and um yeah that's like a true horror movie (laughs) like it is a horror movie i think someone has to study especially very specifically youtubers but i think those people never set out with that mindset of i'm going to help my community those people set out and they're mega young when they got on on youtube and then they rose to fame really quickly and never fully developed as it's really scary because then they're just making these like horrible like hack videos where they're just like me when i eat ramen with my mom like my and she hits me with a slipper or whatever and i'm like yeah you have have, like 300 million views but i'm like at what expense like who are you bro like there's nothing inside it's like lights are on no one is home and like a lot of like we're living in a time where like we they're full grown adults in their 30s that grew up as famous youtubers they've never developed and they're just like weird like shell people and i'm like all your jokes are just like literally these are jokes from like maybe a hundred years ago like you heard this joke about asian people or whatever right and it's just some hack weird it's very vaudevillian they're really like over the top like youtube is just like a scary animal at this point but you you know what i mean like you've seen those videos where there's like oh i fell down the stairs and it's just like there's nothing going on inside. There. This is <laughs> yeah, terrifying. you're like you're providing no value. And the other yeah. thing is like the sh- the sandal hitting like the kid thing has yeah. been done eight million times. I'm like, why are they still squeezing this lemon? 
Like we have been. I mean, I've done it. To be fair, Sam. Sam, like I would be like, yo, we're getting hit by sandals. But you know what? like that's like that premise though. It's like we know it, but I know what you're saying. It's like the sad thing is, is like life is so short, right? And so it's yeah. like I at the end of the ride, like I'm just gonna be fucking buried in the dirt. And like I would hope that people would be like, Hey, this person like did something nice or like unique. Or interesting, they yeah. contributed to culture. I wouldn't want them to be like, watch this montage of them getting hit by like, their mom's yeah. sandal. I'm like, yeah, there's too many of those montages right now. Like, I want to do something with the limited time I have. And, um, but yeah, it just being it is real. Yeah, no, being real and being real is like tough too, because we're classically conditioned not to be real. Like putting mm. up a face putting up a face um being um exceptional is Mm -hmm. like the mantra you know as like um like growing up with fobby parents it's like you have to be different you have to be extra and like you have to be there always has to be some like yeah you know but at the same time like don't make any waves yeah well like you know like again i I hate it when people talk shit about internet comedians because this does happen it does happen with regular stand-up comedians too but i think the level that it's happening online is accelerated because it's like you know obviously there it's immediate like gratification and validation and they're and they're feeding off that and so it's like they like fall into that hack area way faster and then they live there you know it's scary yeah it's tough uh, and then I'm like, do I want to be them? Like on some levels, I'm like, yeah, they're making millions of dollars off of yes. just like hack shit. And I'm like, yeah. yes, no, I do. I'm like, I would, there's so many things I would do with that money. But then I know myself and I know like I'm, um, it doesn't matter what I have like materially. Yeah. My mm-hmm. mind is like, what is my biggest issue? It's like, I could everything can be great and I can still feel like everything is fucking falling apart. That's how I feel too. Well, also I feel like I I think I felt like you were about to say this, but like I don't care about the reason I'm in, into doing comedy is like I want to say what I want to fucking say. Yeah. Like that's the whole point. If I'm not in this to get 10 million followers. I'm in this cuz I want to say what I want to say. And yep. so if if somebody was like, well, if you want 10 million followers, just do these throw your mom throws slippers at you jokes. I'd be like, no, because I don't even want to talk about that. Yeah. And I'm not here to get 10 million followers. If I did get that following and success and financial success from saying what I want to say, that would be great. But you know what I mean? Like, it's like. Yeah, I'll tell you a great anecdote about this. So I was. Uh, at my apartment and there's a cafe that opened up downstairs the cafe owner was outside of my apartment right and you were on my comedy show and um you were gonna be on my comedy show that week and the cafe owner stopped me before i went in my house was like hey uh you have a comedy show this week (laughs) i go yeah i I do Uh, you know i never told them that i had a comedy they go I know young me is on the show and I, I go, Oh, you know, young me. And she goes, 
not personally. I'm a fan. And I went like, oh, holy shit. Uh, yeah, Young Me's on the show. And then I was like, see, that's the kind of following I want to have. I don't want to have like uh, one million social media followers or whatever who are just yeah. like randoms who just like hit follow. And then they're like, this is cool, whatever, maybe. I want like the real followers who are like, yo, I am like a fan and I want to support and that's what's meaningful right. to me and it's also the pe people who like actually find meaning in your jokes that aren't following a thousand other people who they're like i could take it or leave it and or this isn't really necessarily resonating with me i'm doing this yeah. like blindly you know and um yeah quality over quantity i'm not to say that like yeah i'm judging people's quality but what i'm saying is like yeah, I don't know. It's like, I don't know. Again, like a short life. Like, I just feel like so many people that we know that are our age are like routinely passing away. And like, that has become yes. a very, very serious like concern of mine where I'm like, yo, I'm <laughs> honestly like metrically speaking, I'm always like, yo, maybe I'm like next. So, like, none of this shit really means anything like to that. me anymore. Yeah. Where I'm like, yeah. I just want to like, what, who the fuck knows how long we're gonna be alive i want to make as many people laugh as possible but like deeply laugh not like okay you talked about getting hit with a sandal like <laughs> well here's the here's the thing about that right which i said earlier it's like you know my whole perspective is i always come at it like i'm wrong and i'm bad like oh my style of doing comedy is lazy and not as good as this other person that does like really has discipline and like writes all day but then i was like oh no like it's just a matter of perspective like some people are like that's just something that other people can't do they're not brave enough to do so you're doing it and maybe they're jealous of you or you're just that's their perspective and maybe your perspective isn't is it's it's not as good enough as what other people are doing or whatever but that's like the the fan thing like you know if you just ask a random person and they're like here's this youtuber with whatever 10 million followers and then this person young me or whatever and they're they're gonna be like oh this other person is more successful that's like a better comedian or whatever but it's like it's subjective because it's like the like there are people that like really like my comedy and they like it because it stays true to itself and it's like I'm saying what I really want to say and they're like yeah I agree with you and they would rather listen to me than like some hack person talking about shit that you know they don't really care about and they're just doing you know an accent because they know that it'll get likes you know and so it's like what you said it's like the quality of like the people that like listen to my comedy just really do like it and understand it they're not there for other weird random reasons and like I would like you said I would much rather have a room of five people that really like understand me and want to laugh at what I'm saying than a room of like 10,000 people that they're just like we saw tickets for sale for this fucking bitch that was on Comedy Central so we're here and they don't you know like a tourist that just wandered in you know it's like I would I would never want that you know I want the five people and you tr transcend in the <laughs> art of entertaining people don't you transcend yeah. you transcend the hack shit where you go like uh, I am going to give you an experience. Like at the end of the day, right? Like you yeah. pay money. I would rather see someone like, uh, um, fucking living 
their real life on stage and being who they are and like yeah. okay suppose like you got shit on by a bird before the show and there's shit yeah. like on your shirt would why not acknowledge that right but why not be like yo i got shit on by a bird apparently that's good luck that is more important to me than like someone going like give me another shirt from behind the stage i'm going yeah. out here to do my 10 15 one hour whatever the fuck i i want to for a million dollars something. Yeah. yeah you know how they like say like theater the difference between like theater and film there are a million obviously but um no show is the same so like shouldn't mm, that be comedy yeah. and yeah. like it, yeah so it's like i feel like i want to if you want to see a comedian you in a real like a comedian that is out here doing shit like you could see them technically like a few times and you won't see the same show. Like you will see, right. you know, various differences. But but I think the lesson here, Samir, is that we I think you and I probably are similar people where we see our style as like not as good or whatever. And I think that that's not true. And I think it's like I hear a little bit of this with you where it's like it's like the two extremes. Like part of me is like, oh, I'm just not as good as everyone else because I, I do this thing in a weird way and then the other part's like no this is much this is much better i like this so much better and the people that like it are people that i like i think you know and i i much rather do this and this is way superior to fucking whatever so i have these like two extremes of like and i think it's it's okay to just be like okay i'm different i'm not doing this the way that fucking john mulaney does it but that's fine i'll never be him and i, I don't want to be him i would never be happy in that kind of medium and it's just it's just not me and it would not it would not work if i did it you know it just oh, yeah, I, feel, work. I yeah. feel that and that's the whole thing it's like the balance here right because like if we do like uh 100 commitment to like all right i'm gonna see how i feel tonight and do my thing like yeah. it can hit like fully sometimes sometimes it can't exactly and so like yeah. i personally think it's like having um the ability to do that and to go in with that intention and then if it's yeah. like a room of stiffs who were like actually i wanted like the um like pre-recorded <laughs> version you could like switch you know but yeah. <clears throat> but when it comes down to it i prefer the in the moment like real you walk in with a premise you know your punchlines and you don't have the formulaic like rehearsed like down to the second like i've rehearsed this 55 times i do this bit within yeah. 55 to 57 seconds like there are people like that and that's never going to be me and i agree with you yeah it's like we shouldn't feel bad about it and i feel like a lot of it is us being in our head seeing other people take that style uh yeah. seriously and take that sense but um the thing about comedy is people will never tell you like, yo, I love that you do this. Um, there'll be yeah. few and far between. There'll be a handful of people who'll be like, yo, just to let you know, I wait for you to go up so I can die of laughter in the back. And like, I fucking love it. And um, that's me. Yeah. That's Sam, how I feel. Yeah. Sam, like I will <laughs> see you do your thing. I'll like die of laughter in the back. And I tell you straight up, I go like, yo, you're so fucking funny. And, yeah. um, I never say that unless I mean it, by the way. There's no yeah, way Sam, I'm Sam, Oh, dude, if I <laughs> don't that's my rule. mean it, 
If no, I, I will never say it. that. Yeah, I'm incapable of like lying convincingly. So like for me to say that is opening up a can of worms I can never close because I go like, yeah. If I was like, you're so funny, <laughs> someone go like, no, I wasn't. Was I bombed, great. and then I'll be like, yeah. I'm dead. Because like now I have to sell this. Like I'm not doing that. Well, also you're not helping anyone by being like they know they bombed. You know, like they don't have yeah. to know. And I have, I have to just say, if anyone's listening to this and it's like kind of like insider baseball, like stand up comedy talk, the yeah. I think the rule is like whoever you are, because um, you know I think as kids we learn that there's one right way and one wrong way. You know, in school they like put that in your head. But the truth is like no matter what field you're in, like even if it's not creative, even if you're like a fucking accountant, maybe you do things differently and like you're keep you're constantly judging yourself because it's not the way that most people do it the truth is like whatever personality or work style you have there there are pros and cons and there are things that you're probably doing very well that other people can't do well and that's just a good lesson to know whatever you're doing in life not even work but in like your relationships like i am bad at like buying people gifts you know, I'm just, I just never occurs to me. And then I like stress out when I have to buy people gifts. And if like, I have friends that are good at it. And when they get me gifts, I'm like, oh, man, I'm the fucking worst. I'm a fucking bitch. I'd never get them anything good. But then I'm like, but I'm the person that you call at like fucking 3am and I'm going to f- pick you up. Do you know what I mean? Like, so exactly. I, ha- I have strengths as a friend that and, and weaknesses and that's fine. You know? And like, you're not being evaluated on one or the other necessarily it's like the holistic nature of you as a friend and i think yeah. the same thing and they goes know on... me they're like mm-hmm. she's gonna not get me a birthday gift and she... fucking who cares because <laughs> like if they need you at 3 a.m they know who to call and the, and yeah. realistically speaking that's the way more important like you can count those friends on like a couple fingers you know yeah and um the gift people i mean some people really find joy in buying people gifts that are the perfect gifts. Like they think about it and then they plan it and then they, the card and the wrapping paper matches and shit like that. I'm like, gives me such hardcore anxiety. <laughs> I get anxiety. So great. Cause yeah, I'm like, yo, I got anxiety. You, I go like, I got you like an Orbitz gum gift certificate, <laughs> you know, but you know what? Like the yeah. truth of, what you just said is like the rigidity of there is a way like there's this book i read like tokyo vice was a book that this guy wrote and it became a hbo show i thought the show was like decent whatever but it's through like this kind of like fetishist gaze of japan yeah Mm. it was like a dude who went to japan to teach english then like fell in love with the culture was like i gotta stay and then wow, became this has like never happened before. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> but what was interesting is in that book, and the, he talks about how the top selling books during the time were like how to's. So, like, mm. the bookstores of Japan were like how to's. Like, because there's this concept of like, there is a best web. And it's very but, Asian. It's very Asian. It's so Asian. It's so yeah, fucking yeah. Asian in general, I think. Cause like, it's like, Dude, well, there's a way. There's one you know, way. There's one way. In Korea, it's it makes me insane because sometimes how Korean people talk will be in that way. Like everything is objective, and I'm like, you're talking about like these subjective things, but they feel like there's a scientific fact. Like I remember when I was a kid and Madonna was really famous. They were like, Madonna's really famous because it came out that her IQ is 190. She's very, <laughs> and I was like, that's not why. 
<laughs> that's not this is and i remember like but all korean people all talk like that they're like madonna is the best singer yeah. in the world because her iq is 190 and i was like what the fuck does that have to do with her singing she sucks at singing she's popular because she like wore uh, underwear in, in her hair i don't know you know who knows why yeah it's not that though nobody's like in america nobody in america was like yo what's her iq because i don't know if i can buy this record right now it's like 1985 but you know you know it's crazy it's like i growing up it was like that whole whole thing was like the um pre-traveled route was less fraught with uh disappointment or pitfalls so I was like, mm-hmm. yo, we already saw people do this. I always think about like, I mean, again, a hack premise is like, hey, as Asians, like we are love to like do the like finance. Oh, finance came late, by the way. I was like, we're doctors. Yeah. We're like this. We're that. Finance and, just came but, about because like one Asian guy made a billion dollars and then they were like, did you hear? Yes. Mr. Lee's son turned one billion and now it's like, okay, now we can go it's to finance. Like, everything is like business. <laughs> Yeah, because yeah. like it was in the beginning, it was just like be a doctor, doctor be like yeah. lawyer, right? And even lawyer came late, like it was just be a doctor, like whatever, and um, or like own your own business and then scale the yeah. that business, like and um, yeah, and so I think about it, and it's like you know, growing up, that was the way, and that was sort of, and like my parents coming to the United States, like they, um had this whole american dream and they were trying to figure it out and like neither of them were going to be doctors and so it was like this pre um sort of expectation of like well you're not a doctor then what are you what validates you what Mm -hmm. makes you um immediately you know like the instagram twitter bio kind of thing of the 1970s and 1980s was a one Mm -hmm. sentence like an asian person saw another asian person they're like yo what do you do yep yep you 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 have like one sentence and you're like i am a doctor and okay so you're like (laughs) you're popping (laughs) i mean like yeah yeah yeah. Mm -hmm. back then if you were like i am an entertainer of sorts like i'm a comedian as well as a host of it and they're like i'm sorry i don't know what you're talking about your garbage yeah. mm-hmm. but um yeah i the mean one way there was like a one way thing you know and i think looking back like you know thematically on the podcast like uh of harry butthole yeah um it's like growing up with my folks like they were so traditional in so many ways but they were so wait is this your sad story yeah, my sad. Oh, story. you're okay. Yes, okay. I realized I was like, "Holy shit!" Ding, we ding, were like talking about stand up, and um, yeah, yeah. I guess so my sa- my sad story really is about like so now you know as an adult I'm beginning to hear, uh, like even more and more so now it's all about asking the right questions. It's like, yo, when I was a kid, what was life really like? Because things were hidden from me. For the most oh, to part, your right? parents, you're talking about. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so I asked right, them, right. Like, okay. wait, what was going? Why was this that way? Blah blah blah. A lot yeah. of it was just like a curated, like you get to know what you are told. A you don't really know. Reality. Curated reality, because yeah. mm-hmm. I think my parents were afraid that I would go tell the people in the community, like, <laughs> yeah, my parents are like this, or my parents are whatever, and. 
So everything was fed to me in order to parrot it out to like the community and stuff. And, um, right. you know, there's a lot of like classism and a lot of like um, just success culture in Asian culture. It's like, yo, are you or are you not successful? Like, that's what matters. And my parents yeah. were like super fobby in America. And I was like a baby, you know, like I was born here, but they were just here for a couple of years when I when I was born. And mm-hmm. so I grew up in a world where I now posthumously have to look back and be like, hey, well, I'm not dead, but you know what I mean? Like <laughs> after the fact, yeah. I yeah. have to go like, hey, what the fuck? What was this about? And a lot of it is like, the sad story is growing up um my parents had this dichotomy of like wanting me to be successful in america and to understand american culture and stuff so they would and also i had like savage adhd so they were like yeah we need to like burn off his energy by like Mm -hmm. putting him in a million after school and or like weekend activities but mm. both of my parents were working so much that they weren't able to sustain that by supporting. So they were, they were mm. like OG 1980s parents that would be like, all right, we're just going like to drop you off at this thing and pick you up later or try and get one of these like white neighbors to like bring you home. Mm-hmm. And um, so the expectation was I would do the activity or whatever it was, but you know, sort of like they wouldn't be there. And mm. one of the things, it like was whatever. A lot of the times I was like, all right, and I'm glad my parents aren't here because I'm not good at mm. sports. So they'd be embarrassed. But um, one of the things was like Cub Scouts. They did this thing called the Alpine Derby. Mm-hmm. And it's essentially like a bonding experiment with your uh, parent like Mm. modern but it was like oh your dad will help you um make this racing car thing and then we'll put it on the track and they'll like it'll slide down the track and you have to make it aerodynamic and way like more in order you know it was like a whole figuring it out how do we make this car faster and um but ultimately it was was like a bonding exercise with yeah that was the whole point it was like yeah work with your dad on like this block of wood and these wheels and like and there's some rules and like you make it good on the track faster by making it more aerodynamic and you know all these like white kids would like go to the wood shop with their dad and like saw their block of wood down and whatever anyways i kept warning my dad for a couple weeks i was like dad we gotta do this thing they're telling me at cub scouts like you gotta make this car like other kids are bringing in prototypes of their car to like cub scouts and like just talking mm-hmm. about them and like we just still have that block of wood and like wheels and stuff my dad's like yeah 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 anyways the night before i had this nuclear meltdown i'm like dad the alpine derby is tomorrow you have to bring me to like the whole race and mm-hmm. we haven't done anything. We just have a plastic bag with like a block of wood and wheels. And my dad's mm-hmm. like, fuck. You know? And he's like, <laughs> oh, fuck. So he literally, he just like, take. it's like 930. It's some like ungodly hour. I'm like seven years old. My dad's like, fuck, it's like 1030 p.m. My dad takes like super glue and like glues the wheels directly into the block of wood. And I'm like, dad. 
they're not even spinning. Like this thing won't like move, you know? And he's like, you'll be fine. And then the next morning he brings me there and drops me off. And it's like February in Massachusetts. It's like ice fucking cold. And um, he's like, don't eat any pork. Whatever they give you like to eat here, don't eat any pork. And I'm like, well, how do I know? He goes, ask them if there's pork in it and don't eat it if there is. I go, okay. I go, what are you leaving? He's like, yeah, I got to go. I'll come back later. So wait, I so were the other dads all there though? It was oh like, fuck yeah, Every yeah, dad. they're supposed to be there. And it was the whole point, you know? Yeah, and like, granddads, gr- their entire family. Like, yeah, it was like granddads Ugh. with like bud ice hats on and stuff, and like everyone is just like so amped, and um, yeah. the cars are like painted, they're like aerodynamic, they like put mm-hmm. weights on them to make them faster, so. I'm walking around like hungry. I'm asking them. I'm like, yo, do you, this is like 1980s in Massachusetts, central Massachusetts. I'm like, Hey, uh, mm-hmm. do you, do you have, uh, like anything without pork in it? They're like, what the fuck is pork? You know, like, cause they're just like eating it. They never even really yeah. think like to them. They're like, it's like hot dogs. It doesn't have and pork, like, but it has like, yeah. Macaroni like, salad. And they're like, I don't know. Yeah. yeah, and they're like, oh, we have ham, we don't have pork. I'm like, yo, that's pork, yeah. you know? So I'm just like, fuck, I can't eat anything. So I'm just like a little kid, like starving. It's freezing yeah. out. I'm wearing like a uh, snowsuit. Anyway, um, so then they're just like going race after race. It's super competitive. Whole families are lined up watching their kids like win or lose, like the race against another Cub Scouts car. And yeah. um. I'm freezing and like hungry. And then they call me up. They're like, where's your dad? And I go, he's not here. It's just me. And they're like, all right, where's your car? And I just like put up a wooden block, <laughs> like wheels going yeah. to it. And they yeah. go like, we're not doing this. Like, it's like shameful. Like we're not putting, I go like, put it on the track. And then it just sits on the track. Another <laughs> dude's like car goes in. And uh, I was like, so heartbroken, so heartbroken. And then, you know, hours mm. go by i'm like just wandering around disillusioned like heartbroken mm. like i'm a loser and a weirdo already an outcast because my parents were like fob as fuck you know and mm. they like left me there alone and there was like no other brown people let alone like yeah. asian people in general it was just like yeah. white people and uh so anyway um so my dad comes late to pick me up so i'm literally like it's classic you know like this was classic like a dad. yeah yeah so he like shows up and there's like one concerned like woman who's like i'm not gonna leave you like here alone and then like my dad rolls up and i'm yeah. like crying and shit and i'm like this is embarrassing you know and so i was like i can't believe my family my family like sold me out and uh but yeah. the redemption of that is that like you know a few months later i um had this project at school where i had to make like a diorama which was like a scene from a book i read so the night yeah. before my, my sister helped me make it in like a, a shoebox out of like candy and like toothpicks and shit it was very lofty it was probably mental looking but it was yeah. like the cat in the hat or some shit i don't know <laughs> and it was like gumdrops and like um toothpicks and stuff and um so i spent all this time making it and um the one thing my dad did really do was he he would bring us 
to the bus stop usually so that we would get on the bus because it was like ice cold in New England mm-hmm. winters. Anyways, it's a New England winter, a couple weeks after that whole dilemma. And I go down the bus stop. My dad didn't come with us. And uh, it was just me and my older sister, who's like three years older than me. And this like bully from our neighborhood was always like fucking with me and harassing me. And he threw a fucking ice, like a snow covered ice ball at my face. At the bus stop, and like yeah. it just hit me so hard in the face that I like fell backward, and my like diorama flew up in the air <gasps> in the shoebox, no. like hit the ground, and everything shattered. Like all of my night's work was just like candy gumdrops and like sticks and shit, and I was like besides myself crying, right, losing my mind. And my sister helped me on the bus and was like, it'll be okay. I was like sobbing, you know, like, they'll mm-hmm. fail me. <laughs> I was in second grade. I was like, I'm going to take a beating for this. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to get a bad grade on it. And we went mm-hmm. to school and my sister told the uh, teacher, like, hey, somebody like hit my brother and like broke his thing. Anyway, yeah. so I went home and like didn't tell anyone. And my sister told my dad and he was like, what? And he's like, what happened? And he like, I told him, I was like, oh, this dude threw like an ice ball at me at the bus up and my whole thing was ruined. And I was like, you know, super traumatized, like depressed about it. Mm-hmm. So the next morning, my dad was like, I'm coming with you to the bus stop today. I was like, uh, what? <laughs> and he came down mm-hmm. and then he was like looking for the kid and and the kid's name was jc it was like his like initials and my dad JC. was like who is jc and there were like Bring moms me JC. there, there yeah. were like all these moms there and then my dad rolls i was where's jc his mom didn't happen to be there that day but yeah everyone just pointed at him because he was the neighborhood bully every kid snitched him out like immediately it was like that guy Duh. and my been dad waiting just my dad was like you threw I said my kid and he was like trembling and I was like I did I'm sorry and my dad's like if you ever ever even look at my kid again I will break your face in front of these like white women yes. and they were like all losing their mind they're like oh my god no one said shit it was like silent other kids started crying they're tired of JC so scared yeah <laughs> Oh, they were crying? But they were, like, crying because it was so scary. They were, like, this dude's dad is about to break kids' faces out here. But he literally said, like, I will break your face. And I was, like, you know what? Fucking Alpine Derby. My dad will break someone's face. So I think I'm all right. (laughs) Yeah, because, you know, all of the Alpine uh, Derby white dads would have been, like, hey, JC, let me tell you something. Like, you want ice cream cone, kiddo? No, you need a dad to say I'm going to break your face. Yeah, well, they would have just been like, yeah, my kid is a pussy if we're not, like, fighting you or whatever or, like, handling his business, you know. But that's that's how they were. Like, they were like, fight your own battles kind of thing. And, Mm, you know, at the end of the day, like, um, maybe I'm somewhere in between that. But, like, yeah, you need to, like, know, like, hey, fuck this guy. My dad will break his face. And it gives you your own, like, confidence, you know. I'm going to, yeah, you know, I'm going to say that your story I feel like it's such a not to like 
diminish the importance of it because I think it was very traumatizing and very important. It was an important event for you as a child, but like it's it's so common, especially um, you hear it a lot with like immigrant families, but I think it's really common among a lot of people, even people whose parents are not immigrants, the negligent, um, you know, I know that word sounds really bad, but just like, I guess for immig- immigrant parents, I have a little bit more compassion because it's like, obviously it's like they're in survival mode, right? A lot of them and yeah. they don't know what's going on and they're struggling with the fact that they're, I mean, you know, for a fact, your dad was like facing all sorts of fucked up shit every day of his life from the white people, you know, and like you're saying he has an accent and he's a brown person in this like predominantly white area and you know his life was hard not that it um excuses the fact that he wasn't really fulfilling these like parental duties of showing up and you know doing these activities that he's supposed to do um but it's so hard I think for kids if your parents are immigrants because you're stuck in this hard place where you're like you should have fucking been there, dad. And you should have fucking made the fucking Alpine goddamn derby box thing. Cause it made me, I had to fend for myself in a, yeah. a situation where you should have never been alone. And I, yeah. I have had so many experiences as kid, as a kid where I was like, I should have never been alone because yes. it, when you're alone as a kid, you have to fend for yourself in front of other people's parents and they yep. in in especially white countries and in america it's not like korea where i feel like in korea if that happened you know because i grew up for a portion of my childhood in korea some yeah. korean fucking mom would have taken me under her wing and she would have included me with her kid you know what i mean like some yep. dad would have been like i'm gonna help you make this your dad w- is working really hard and then you can join our little cluster family group but this culture yep. is very it's not community based and p- adults just don't give a fuck about children. It's very like savage in a way. And I think that's like a white, a white cultural thing. And I think for Asian immigrants coming here, like your parents, they probably didn't understand that. Cause if you were in India, like somebody would have been like, Oh, Samir's dad's not here. Let's, let's do this with him. Cause I'm here. But it's, yep. it's not like that at all in America. It's very fend for yourself. Um, but then the problem is that with us, we're like, you should have fucking been there. You fucking fucked up by not being there. I had to deal with the brunt of this adult aggression towards me. Like you said, the person being like, you can't put your car here. Where is your dad? Now I have to wait for you and your dad's late. And it's like a kid should never have to deal with that. That's an adult to adult transaction that you're emotional transaction that you're involved in. And it's like easy to resent your parents for that. But then the other side of it is like, yeah, my 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 dad's life was way harder than your white dad's life, Kyle, you know? So yep. it's like, I can't even be mad at him, you know? It's and that, you, you, you literally spoke it. Like, it's exactly what you just said, right? Because that followed me throughout life. Like, um, yeah. the fact that they weren't there for certain things, like, I still think about it. Like, holy shit, I wish you were because, not because of that moment even matters to me like that hockey game doesn't matter that fucking soccer game that t-ball game none of that matters it's the feeling you get of the confidence of like them and the abandonment no one's like, on in your corner that exactly. feeling is fucking rough it's so rough and it follows you scary throughout your life 
and the weird it's so real it's like this is like very therapeutic actually this conversation because it is that it's like you have to justify it later in life but as you get older do you empathize with your parents more too because you're like yo my parents were like this age or something when they had like kids and I'm, yeah. And I and then I think about all the things they went through and I'm like, holy shit, it wasn't easy. But at the same time, these things can be mutually exclusive. Right. And we live in within yeah, two them, things right? can be like, true. Yeah. Yeah. Like one thing is like it was tough for them. And one thing is it was like really but you're tough the child. For me. You're the child. And like, yeah. see, I mean, I know you're a, a parent now, but that's the hard thing about like healing all this trauma and not passing it down to your kids. It's like you have to be compassionate toward your parents and then you have to do that to your kids, which they should have done to you, which they didn't do. So now you're doing it two ways, you know? Yep, it's like, yep. you know, the feeling of when you're whatever in the middle of something and your your kids are losing their minds and you have to be patient with them because they're babies and they don't know what's going on. So you have to hold it, hold that in, be patient and then hold in that for your parents. And it's like one person doing to parental roles, you know, and I think that's a common thing among children of immigrants. But I just want to say this. I've had so many incidents like that when I was a kid, and it took me a long time in therapy to realize that there are so many incidents, and it has a lot to do with my resentment towards white people. And I think it comes a lot from my childhood, because there will be so many times where I would be in a playground. Um, I remember this one incident where I was with my older sister, she's like four years older. And she was like, she was like having an argument with this little kid, this little white boy. And like he, she was like, you know what? Like, don't, she was like, don't ever like fucking push me. Like they're like getting in a scuffle. And she was like, if you do that, like I'm going to fucking kick your ass or something like that. But she was just saying it. Like she would just say things like that. She wasn't really going around kicking. And he ran off and got his mom, his white mom. And she was like, don't ever that. And she was like screaming at my sister. And she was probably at that point, maybe 10, you know? And I was like six or seven. And I just remember being like, there were no other adults there. And she knew that. So she was bullying this child because she was like, oh, here's yep. this like fucking Asian kid with your shitty Asian parents who are not even here because they're at work. I can abuse this child, literally. Like she crossed the line. Right? 100%. And yep. she knew that our parents weren't there. So white people know that they can harass and like abuse Asian kids because they're like, your, your fucking parents are always working. And so then you're placed in the situation where you feel like you're fighting this adult world of like aggressive, horrible fucking people by yourself. And you don't have an adult there. Right? 100%. And that is terrifying. And that's like. And that shit yeah, was like my yeah. whole childhood, like always advocating for myself when I was just a child. So, like. Dude. Yeah. I see that shit sometimes go down now in playgrounds. I mean, I'm sure, because I know your kids are really young, but like you will see it happening that they will treat certain kids a certain way. And, and I'm, you better fucking, I'm running. I'm running from the other side of the playground. Like, there's this guy the other day. Oh, my God, Samir. I was at this playground, and there were, like, these two, like, black young kid boys. Like, they were, like, 10 or 11. And they're all the kids started jumping on this branch, this tree branch, right? And then these two black boys who were, like, 11, everyone else was, like, maybe 8 or, not like, my son's age, um, were doing it, too. And this fucking white guy went up to them and started screaming at them, like, I'm going to fucking call the cops. I'm like, you're going to fucking called the cops on two 11 year old boys and they were there they didn't have parents and me and this other like dominican grandma 
I'm so like, we went up to him and we were like, fuck you. Like, we were like going in. I was like, I've recorded you. And then, and then he went off. He was like, I'm going to find the cops. I can find the, I'm going to call the cops on these two 11 year old boys. And I was like, how fucking dare you? But he left the park to find quote unquote the cops and he left his two daughters there. So I like recorded it and I was like, I'm going to call the cops because that's child abandonment. I was was playing the Karen card. I was like, yeah, why don't you call the cops? Because I will stand here and tell them that you left your kids alone for 20 minutes to go find random cops like people. Yeah. And they were scared. It's weird how colorism and like that also it plays a role in like how people treat children. Like if you're white, you're like a child till you're like a teenager. But if you're you're not, then you're like fucking literally like, you should know better. Like you should know better. Like we don't age at the same rate. Yeah. It was nuts that he like singled out these two boys and that the grandma and me, like she wasn't their grandmother. She was someone else's grandma. We were literally like, why does he keep picking on those two boys? Like, everyone else is doing it. The worst part is he doesn't even know why. He, he does, doesn't even know. but he doesn't. Like, why does he pick those two kids to yell at? He doesn't. He doesn't know. And he's the one to go like, I have a black friend at work who tries to get me to stop annoying him at his cubicle. <laughs> yeah. And also, maybe it was just because, like, maybe he knew that their parents aren't there. And people have this adults are weird to children. Like, if they know your fucking dad's not there, they act weird to you. Yeah, it's fucking Regardless creepy, of your race. But it's creepy. Yeah. It's anyway, but that, like, you shouldn't ever have had to deal with that, you know? And it's hard to come. It's like this duality, right? It's because it's like you want to be kind to your child self hard now because i have a kid so i can see exactly what i would look like as a certain age which fucking fucks me up because i'm like you know i went through this like negligent abuse is what white people call it but like i went through that as well like your experiences are very similar to mine and then sometimes i remember oh when i was six this happened and then i look at mino and he's eight and i'm like holy shit i would like it would kill me if i saw that happening to him you know absolutely (sighs) this literal thing happened to me like when I yeah. was a child, I grew up very like early memories. I grew up in Indiana. My mom had like a job there. And yeah. um, one day I had one of those repressed memories pop up. It was so fucked up. And uh, I literally froze and was like, this can't be real. This must be like a weird horror movie I watched. Anyway, I called my older sister who's three years older than me. I was like, hey, do you remember when we lived in Indiana? And like one day we got like a ice cream or something. And like, I don't know where mom and dad were. We were just like by ourselves playing at this place. She goes, yep, I do. I already know what you're going to say. She goes, we were just like sitting on, there was like this one massive like pipe thing that was exposed like gummo style and like water would come out of it. Like, you know, like a weird like sewage pipe or (laughs) I don't know like what it is. But, like, yeah. it's one of those pipes where, like, horror movies are like, you walk into the pipe. Like, it's like, oh, you, you know, walked thick in? enough to walk. No, I didn't walk in, but, like, we were yeah. sitting above it and, like, our legs were dangling. And this random fucking dude rolled up to me and my sister while we were eating a popsicle. And he pulled a knife on us and was like, give me oh a lick your popsicle. Yeah, she said it, though. She goes, 
and that dude rolled up to us and like pulled a knife on us and like we didn't have our parents for this we didn't know where they were i was like yes that's a real fucking story are you kidding me he said, like, give me a lick of your popsicle you like pulled a knife to my sister and like I had a popsicle, she had one, and then he like took the popsicle and like ate it and like gave it back to her <gasps> and like held the knife up to us and like menaced us with the knife and then walked away. I was like, yo, that guy was like a serial killer. <laughs> like and That's we the were the worst spared. thing you could have done. Yeah, and like we he never even killed told you our and it would have been okay. <laughs> yeah, we I don't even think we were like went home and were like, a guy pulled a knife on us, like took a lick of our popsicle. Like this was just oh like how God. we lived, you know, and like so 20 whatever years later like i was asking my sister before i even told her she filled in the gap and i was like this is fucked like that was a real memory that was repressed but yeah it's like it's a thing you know that happened like so like the neglect but at the same time like i don't think my mom specifically would have like wanted to do that now my mom t- tells me like hey i didn't get to spend any time with you when you're a kid and so like i love to be with exactly the, yeah. my grandkids i'm like yeah it makes sense they regret yeah. it it's not like they chose that they had to work yeah. but also i have to say outside of this whole like because i know this is a very uh you know common experience for children of immigrants and other people who've been neglected but outside of that that's like just kids playing and then randomly having to interact with the with the cuckoo coconuts of the world you know like that would have happened that could have happened to like any kid that had you know whatever life they went out and sat in the lake and somebody (laughs) licked their pops that could have happened to anyone i guess so yeah but that's what a i feel like there's i have a i have a very vague memory of this one time this like man tried to kidnap me what yeah and this was like in korea but like this um these two high school girls were there and then he's like he just like went away oh my god i was like five and he was like come here and he was like standing in front of his car and he had the door open and i was like okay like that because i was like fucking five or six or whatever and these two girls were like don't no don't go and then like she held my hand I thought, like, in my memory, they were huge, but they were probably, like, in a middle school. They were probably, like, 11 or 12. And then I just, like, walk with them. <laughs> just, like, avoiding life-changing scenarios. And I never told like, my parents. That would have been a wrap. Yeah, that, that's yeah. it for me. But who knows? Well, that's... I'm really glad that you st- told your, your story because I feel like every time somebody tells a story... I know that it's something that um, will be helpful for people to hear. You know, like it's like, and I think that people are, you know, like those memories of where you're a kid and your dad or your mom wasn't there and then you felt ashamed about it. And I think people like into adulthood will hold that shame and be like, that was really embarrassing for me. It was really humiliating and, and it doesn't click that it like had nothing to do with, it wasn't their fault. And, you know, like their parents, shouldn't have signed them up for that if they couldn't be there and there was no way for them to know you know yep um anyway we're we're running out of time do you want to tell our listeners where they can find you on social media yeah sure i'm on uh instagram at s-a-m-e-e-r-m-o-n and uh i have a podcast called halal cartels and uh that's where you can find me and thank you so much for having me young me this has been so amazing 
Of course. And where can they listen to the podcast? Oh, it's on Spotify, Apple, all those, like wherever you stream. Um, and we just have an anchor FM page at the moment. Okay, awesome. And you can follow the podcast at Harry Butthole Podcast on Instagram. You can follow me at YM Mayor or Young Me Mayor on TikTok. Thanks, Amir. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much.